Uh, I want you to turn in your Bibles this Father's Day. Somebody said, man, you're going to preach about fathers this morning. You know what? I did last year. It was a great message. Check out the podcast, Living for a Legacy. But I just wasn't feeling it this year. So I went with what I was feeling in my gut. And I, and I want to preach this, this standalone sermon here just called Only Believe. Only Believe. And so if you want to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5, I'm going to hang out there all morning long. And it should be all right with the blessing of the Lord here. So Mark chapter 5, verse 21 through 29, I'm going to read that and we will dive into it. It says, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd had gathered about him and he was beside the sea. And then came one of the rulers of the synagogue. That's important to remember. The ruler, he is a ruler of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And God, just like that song says, you're, you're too good to not believe God. And I believe that you're... you're you're just bringing faith about in, in the hearts of people. That's what I'm seeing you do, God, whether it be for salvation or for transformation in people's lives or even for freedom and deliverance and healing, God. You're letting faith arise in the hearts of people, God, and you're the one that brings that faith about. And so we give you the glory. We give you the thanks this morning. And I pray, God, that you would anoint your word. You would bring life to it so that we could see you, Jesus, clearly and that we would be transformed by your word and by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So we start this story and you're reading through the book of Mark. And in context, if you read about it, it's kind of interesting because Jesus had been basically waging war on the devil for the entire book of Mark. And he had just literally come from the other side of the sea, it says, where he had cast out some demons out of a guy. You remember the story about how Jesus cast a legion of demons out of a man. And before that, he had calmed a storm. And so you're seeing Jesus exercise his power and authority over bodily sickness and disease. You're seeing him exercise his authority over nature. And you're seeing him exercise exercise his authority over the demonic and by this time words getting out you know what I'm talking about like people are hearing about Jesus and about his power and this is very interesting though because this Jairus wasn't just any guy he was a ruler in the synagogue and what you've got is this situation where all kinds of people are coming in because they hear Jesus has come up on shore. He's coming in and they're basically storming him. I don't know if you've ever been in that kind of situation. I went to India one time where there's a billion people. I got done preaching and there were a bunch of kids in the front row. I said, you know what? I think I'll go up and lay my hands on these kids and pray for them. And when I did, I got thronged, y'all. Whatever that means, it happened to me. 
You know what I'm saying? I don't know what thronged means, but when I read that word, I, that, I have a flashback. And you lose control of where you're going because the tide will take you and people are pushing you and you're wondering if you're going to implode. And in that moment, I'm thinking about all of these people just trying to touch this man because they've heard about what he's capable of. And they want to just touch him and they're pushing on him. And you see this scene of this ruler in the synagogue who is desperate He's desperate, and in the midst of a wonderful revival, he falls at Jesus' feet because he has got a real situation. His daughter is sick to the point of death, and he demonstrates real sincerity here because basically by falling at Jesus' feet, he's saying what every other religious leader is not saying. And I need you to understand that at that point, as a ruler in the synagogue, if you read the book of Mark, literally just a couple of chapters earlier, the rulers of the synagogue and the Pharisees had basically come up to Jesus publicly and said, man, this guy casts out demons by the power of the devil. He's not a real leader. He's healing people through the power of the devil. This man is not really, really God or the Messiah. He's a blasphemer. But yet Jairus is desperate, and he's willing to maybe even lose his position. Why? Because he's in a, in, in a desperate situation with his daughter. He's a daddy who loves his daughter. And he wants to see some, so he's willing to do anything. He's willing to go up to this man who could possibly be a heretic and a blasphemer. But listen, here's the thing. It's just like when you see that many good things happening, I want you to understand, would you attribute that to God or would you attribute it to the devil? You know what I'm talking about? So I think he's taking a risk because he knows people are going to reject him when he does it. But he falls at Jesus' feet and it's an act of rebellion. But he begs Jesus and Jesus goes with him. But see, that's not where the story ends. You would think, well, Jesus is just going to go with him. Maybe he even do like he did in Matthew 8 and say, I'll just send forth the word. No big deal. Your daughter's healed. You ain't even got to go. Don't worry about it. But this ruler of the synagogue, it's almost as if Jesus says, you know what, Jairus? I see that you're serving the Lord. You're in the house of God. You're making things run properly in the house of God. You're doing everything that you need to do. But I need you to follow me just for a minute because I need to show you a few things before we get to your direct need. And it's almost like this. It's almost like you ever been in a situation where you come to God, you come to church, and you've got some direct needs. And God's like, you know what? I'm going to meet that need. I'm going to answer this prayer. But I need to show you a few things first. How many of y'all you ever been in that waiting period on God to try to do something for you? Like you've asked him to do it. You feel that he's getting involved, but it seems like it's not yet. He's not, you've, he's not come across the threshold of your door. He's not yet laid hands on your daughter. And you're waiting for that moment to come. And Jesus is saying, I need you to understand some things. I need you to see some things. And this miracle is interrupted really with a more popular miracle. Everybody knows the miracle about this woman that comes and touches the hem of Jesus' garment. And his miracle is interrupted by this woman. And I think it's so interesting because if you read in Luke's account, when Jesus turns and says, who touched me? In Luke's account in chapter 8, it says that they all denied it. I want you to imagine, hundreds of people are touching Jesus as he's walking through the crowd. Hundreds of them. Imagine you touching him. He turns, he says, who touched me? And he, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, I didn't touch you. 
I don't know if they were afraid. I don't know if, if, if he was just looking like raw. Maybe he had, a, he, had a, he had a show of amazement on his face. Maybe it looked like he had just woke up a couple of hours ago and he wasn't that happy. I don't know what they were thinking, but they all denied it. And I'm thinking that at this point, just in my mind, Jesus is saying, hey, Jairus, you're a ruler in the synagogue. You're, you're there to minister to people and lead people to God. And I know you need a miracle, and I know you've served God. And most people would think because you're the dude that you would just get the miracle right away, but I need you to see some things first I need you to see this multitude that is crying out to God night and day and saying Lord if you're really there if you really care why aren't you helping me here God I need a touch from you and they're crying out and they're thronging God and they they want to see God move in their midst but when God finally reaches out to them they deny it They deny his love. They deny his presence. They deny his people. They deny all of these things. And he's saying, Jairus, I need you to understand these people are out here and they exist. I know you stay in the synagogue and you know everybody that's at church every Sunday. But there's people on the outside that never enter the doors of a church. And you need to know that they exist and they are crying out to God and God's heart is broken over them. Because even though they deny His presence and even though they deny His love and even though they reject His power, you need to be aware of the reality that God's heart breaks over them. He wants to see them saved. He wants to see them healed. He wants to see them infused with hope and with life. And I need you to step outside of your box just for a minute, Jairus, to see the bigger picture before we meet your need. And so then he says... I think he wants him to not only see this because Jairus is sitting there and he sees the multitudes, but then all of a sudden, maybe Jairus, I'm going to imagine this because here's what you've got to understand. This woman with the issue of blood, she's not allowed in the synagogues. You have an issue of blood, according to Levitical law, you're unclean. She's had this issue for 12 years. Because she's unclean, she can't hug her daughter. It's so interesting because she's been sick for 12 years can't hug her family, can't go to church and be around people. And guess how old Jairus' daughter is? 12 years old. It's almost as if there's a contrast there where Jesus is saying, you know, you've at least had a daughter to love and hold in your arms and experience these moments. This woman has had nothing for 12 years. And I want you to notice something, Jairus. You've had your daughter for 12 years. This woman has come to me and she has absolutely nothing except faith. She's got nothing. Her disease has stripped everything from her. Matter of fact, she had some money, but she spent it all on physicians and didn't get any better. Matter of fact, she only got worse going to the doctor year after year after year just trying to get to some sort of normalcy. And I think that Jesus has taken Jairus into this place to show him that. And here's one of the things that I also think that he's trying to show Jairus. I believe that it's quite possible that because Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue that he would have known this woman. As a ruler of the synagogue, you had to know who was clean and who was unclean. Isn't that nice? And if they were unclean, if they had leprosy, if they had an issue of blood, if they had touched something dead recently, the ruler of the synagogue was going to stand at the doors to say, you cannot come in here, you are unclean, you need to stay out there. And all of a sudden he's watching this woman that perhaps he met at the door of the synagogue one one Sabbath and said, you know what woman, you got an issue of blood, you can't come in here, you need to leave now. And all of a sudden he's seeing her press through the crowd and I bet he gasped in his heart whenever she reached out to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. 
And when she touches the hem of Jesus' garment, he gasps, but at the same... So he's watching this scene, and I think Jesus is wanting to show him, Jairus, as a ruler of the synagogue, you need to understand something. Things have changed since I've come on the scene. When somebody reaches out and touches me, it doesn't matter how unclean you've been, what kind of sinful past you've been in. This is no longer about the law of God. It's about the grace of God that transforms the human heart. And you can come in as unclean as you are, and if you'll touch Jesus, He will clean you up. He will change your life. He'll give you a new heart and a new mind and set you on a new path. He's saying, Jairus, you need to understand that things are getting changed up in the synagogue. We're going after the unclean. There's a blood that's going to be shed on Calvary's cross and the unclean, there's going to be a gate open wide and no longer is there going to be a door closed that says you're not allowed in here because of what you've done or the sin that you've committed. No, there's a fountain that flows that will wash you and give you new life. And I think he's trying to show Jairus something. That's just my opinion reading it. I'm reading into it a little bit, y'all. But you see the flow of it. Why is this miracle interrupted? And Jairus sees this take place and it says in Mark 5, 28, she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. You know, we had a testimony last week. A guy who had alpha gal, Trenton, he, t- he testified of the fact that he, f- he felt it in his body. And the man went and ate a che- cheeseburger, praise God. <laughs> I mean... You know, I, I'm like, if it's in the Word of God, we, we can experience these things. And he says, and Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And I want you to understand, she had an expectation. She said within herself... Now, she could have easily just wallowed in self-pity and said, I've been here 12 years. If Jesus really loves me, he'll come and get me. If Jesus really loves me... He'll come over to me and touch me. I'll just sit back here and wallow in self-pity and, and, I'll just, and I'll just stay back. But no, she had something in her heart. And I want you to understand that often your expectation determines your experience. Now, not always, but there's an element of faith where your expectation determines your experience. And when you come into the house of God or, or you're seeking God, and here's the thing, when you don't have any expectation, you don't usually pray, do you? When you don't have any expectation, you usually just sit and say, whatever will be, will be. If God wants to touch me, he'll touch me. But this woman was not suffice to sit still. She said, I'm going to touch the hem of his garments. And I know that if I touch the hem of his garments, I'm going to be made well. And let me tell you this, the riskiest thing you can do is play it safe when it comes to God. The riskiest thing you can do is play it safe. So what happens if we step out and pray for a sick person and they don't get healed? Big whoop. At least they know you loved them enough to pray for them. The worst thing you can do is play it safe. We have to step out in faith and believe God to do what only God can do. Charles Spurgeon, he's a good scholar, so if I quote him, it makes it sound like, okay, maybe he's legit, you know. If you believe Christ a little, he will bless you a little. If you believe him up to the hilt, which is the maximum, he will bless you to the full. Your faith shall never outrun the manifestations of divine love. Your faith will never outrun the love of God for you. It'll never outrun it. What, what can you receive from God? See, this is why Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. She had a hope that if she just touched the hem of his garment 
that she was going to be healed. But see, it wasn't just a hope. She had an assurance of that hope. That if I touch him, this is going to happen. It's a conviction that even though I don't yet see this healing in my body, I know if I can just touch Jesus, I'm going to have it. And she had faith in her heart for that reality. And when she touched on him what was in the natural, the cloak of his garment, something in the supernatural was released into her body. And all of a sudden you see this power that is released. And this is, this is so amazing to me because this is why Jesus said, he literally said, who touched me? They said, what are you talking about, Jesus? There's like a thousand people that have touched you. They always ask questions. Jesus, always, I think Jesus asked a lot of questions just so he could teach people. He knew what's going on. I think he knew exactly who touched him. I think he wanted that woman, you know, because here's the thing. I think a lot of people come to Jesus and want stuff. People's lives are broken, and they'll be like, well, if, Jesus, if you'll fix this, God, I'd sure appreciate it. And sometimes God fixes it, sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes we have to go through a little bit of difficulty and suffering in this life. And, and we don't understand all of the ramifications of why bad things happen to good people. We don't understand all of that. But what happens is some people come to Jesus for what he can give them. But they don't come to Jesus because they're true worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus had healed ten lepers and ten had went away and only one came back to glorify. I think Jesus wasn't just looking to give somebody a healing. Because it's one thing if you get healed by Jesus. It's another thing if you become a true worshiper of Jesus. He's not looking to just get you healed in your body. He's looking for your heart to be transformed so that your life lives and breathes to give glory to Him. And He says, who touched me? I know you just got healed, but I'm going to ask who touched me because I want to see if you'll come back and give me the glory and profess it in front of all of these people exactly what I did right then. And what's interesting is Jesus didn't do much or nothing except stand there clothed in the power of God. And he said, who touched me? Why? Because he perceived that power went out of him. I don't know if anybody's ever perceived that. You know, like, you know, I just perceived some power left me, praise God. <laughs> you know, that, that happens. We've had a good day at church. Amen. He says, I perceive. Now, there, there, this, this element, you know, this, this is the same power, dunamis, in, in the Greek, dynamite is where we get it from. And, and it's the same word that Jesus said, you know what? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be endued with power from on high. He said that to his disciples. It's the same word that Peter said when he preached that Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. He went out. He overcame the temptations of Satan. And it says he returned in the power of the Spirit. And there's this element because it says in Luke chapter 5, I want you to read this with me. It says, so he himself often withdrew, in verse 16, into the wilderness and he prayed. This is Jesus. He spent a lot of time in prayer, even though he was God in the flesh. And it says, now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And notice this, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. You see throughout Scripture that there is, there is a correlation between the people of God praying or a person praying and the power of the Lord being present to move in the midst of people. 
What I'm saying is that, you know, we can gather and when, when a corporate group of believers has been praying and seeking God, guess what happens? You're going to come into a lot more meetings believing, with believers and all of a sudden there's just a power that is present. You ever been to a church service and you're just like, boys, this is drier and cracker juice. I ain't felt nothing. Sometimes we come to church, and if you're being honest and I'm being honest, it gets drier than cracker juice. You about choke on it. You know what I'm talking about? But there's a moment when everybody gets corporately in agreement and says, we're going to worship God. We're going to give God glory. We're going to turn loose and lift our hands and sing these songs and believe that God is going to meet us. And the atmosphere shifts. And you sense that God is in the room to do something. God's in the room to touch somebody. God's in the room to save somebody. God's in the room to heal somebody. And all of a sudden, things are unlocked, and faith is the key that unlocks God's power. Faith is the one currency that Jesus accepts. He won't take your money. You may be a big good tither, and giving is good, and he says it's more blessed to give than to receive, but you can't buy the power of God. Faith is the only currency that Jesus accepts. In Mark chapter 5, verse 32, it says, He looked around, see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, this is so important, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. One thing that's interesting, when he says go in peace, it's, it's actually read, go into peace. And he would tell people that after they got healed. And basically what he's saying, it's not just a salutation. Hey, goodbye, have a nice day. Now, what he's saying is you've been healed. Now you need to go into a state of peace where you don't allow the same fear and anxiety and worry that attacked you before and took you deeper down that trail to overcome your life. You need to enter into a place of rest and peace with me knowing that I am your Savior and I am your healer. Go into peace. Your faith has made you well. And this phrase he uses so many times in Scripture. Your faith has made you well. There's a very specific word that he's used here and it shows up. We know this phrase, most, most of us as Christians know it from Ephesians 2.8. And I love this verse, right? Everybody loves it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. The word saved is the same word that Jesus uses over and over again for healed for made well. He says, your faith has made you well. It's sozo. So everybody say sozo, right? Man, you just learned a powerful Greek word this morning. Hallelujah. You're scholars and you're brilliant. And he says, you're great. by grace you have been saved through faith. This is about our salvation, right? He says, the way that you're saved, I don't know about you all, John Andrews said something like this last night. He said, you know, you, you, you boys can run on whatever you want. I'm relying on the grace of God. I'm relying on the grace of God because you cannot earn your salvation. It is a gift of God. The faith that He plants in your heart is a gift of God. You can't earn it. You're not strong enough to keep it. It's something that God gives you as a gift and it, the means of it is grace, but you are saved through the channel of faith. When you believe Jesus is who He says He is, that He died for your sins on the cross, that He was raised again from the third day, and you turn from your sin and you believe in that and you trust in Jesus wholeheartedly, look, I make some mistakes, I fall on occasion. But I'm going to tell you something, when I stand before God, it's, I'm, not, I'm not counting on getting in based on the clothes I wear or the sins that I committed or the things that I've done. I am relying completely on Jesus' righteousness and His righteousness alone. I don't know if that excites you, but it excites me. Because I know that I cannot make it except by His by grace you have been saved through faith. But it's so interesting because it's not, Jesus does not just use that 
as going to heaven when you die. Because the word sozo, it means saved, it means healed, it means delivered, it's translated as protected, preserved, restored, and made whole. Jesus uses it, let me give you a few examples. In Mark chapter 10, he says to a blind man, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well, sozo. Your faith has brought new eyesight. That's what he says. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on his way. Luke 17, 19, 10 lepers come to Jesus. And one comes back to glorify Jesus. And he says to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well, sozo. Your faith has saved you. It has cleansed your sin disease. Luke 7.50, this woman washes Jesus' feet. She broke an alabaster box, wiped the, her tears off of his feet with her hair, and everybody's kind of mimicking, and, and Jesus tells a parable about forgiveness. All this woman knows is that she's a sinner and she needs forgiveness, and she comes to Jesus and washes his feet, and he says to her, Woman, your faith has saved you, sozo. Go in peace. So you see that this word that he's saying, he tells this woman that touches just the hem of his garment, woman, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. So there's this dynamic of faith, whether we want to wrestle with it or not. Faith is the channel through which we receive the grace of God to be saved, healed, delivered, restored, and made whole. Can I tell you that you can't earn your salvation? You can't earn a healing in your body. You can't earn deliverance from drugs. It's something that you come to Jesus, you see who He is, you know who He is, you have a revelation of, of who He is, and faith is planted in your heart, and you respond because you see who Jesus is. You can't save yourself. You can't do enough good to earn something from God. He wants to save you. He wants to heal you. And the reason I know why is because He's already demonstrated it on the cross. If you're wondering this morning if He wants to do it, you say, well, yeah, but Clay, some people ain't healed. Can I tell you that if they ain't healed in this life, they most certainly are going to be healed in the next. He has purchased healing for every single one of His children. Some will see it here, some will see it there. And we have that hope and we have that promise, but it is through faith that we hold on to these promises. In Mark 5, 35, it says, while He was still speaking, talking to this woman about her faith making her whole, he says, there came from the ruler's house some who said, listen, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Now, can you imagine, and i got to be honest with you, if I'm coming to Jesus, he's healing all these people, he's raising the dead, and I go to him for my daughter, and we get interrupted, and I just heard that Jesus healed a centurion servant who was a Roman, dude didn't even go to church on Sundays, and he didn't even go to his house, he sent forth his word, and I just get word that my daughter's dead. I'd be like, oh, now Jesus. You know, how is it that some of us, we come to church and some of us, we hear your faith has made you whole. Your faith has saved you. And some are celebrating while others are hearing the words, this situation's dead, it's gone. You might as well let it go. Some of you came in here so hopeless about a situation this morning that you just, you just let it go. You're not even praying anymore. You just gave it up because you've been in it so long, you've experienced the suffering from it so long that you quit believing God. You stopped believing God. You laid it down. And they say, and most people will say this, why you keep even troubling the master? You need to look to something else. Look to something else. Stop troubling him. And it's a unique word because it's a euphemism. It means to skin alive. And it means to harass or extremely annoy. Can I tell you something about Jesus? He is not troubled when you trouble him. 
You can skin him alive if you want to because we did that on the cross. We skinned him alive and we harassed him and we troubled him and we annoyed him, but yet he died willingly for us because he wanted to see us saved, delivered, and healed and set free. And he says, you can guess what? You can keep troubling the master. You can keep praying. You can keep seeking. Matter of fact, I want you to keep believing. Even when it looks like there is no way that anything's going to come through, keep going to God, keep believing, stay in faith, and seek the Lord. And here's, here it says in verse 36, overhearing Jesus, overhearing what they said, that he needed to quit troubling the master he hears them say that and he looks to Jairus the ruler of the synagogue he says now I've showed you some things listen to me do not fear only believe I want you to imagine Jesus turning to you in that moment saying don't be afraid only believe I want you to understand something Jesus is listening he's listening to what's in your heart he's listening to what people are saying to you Every single one of us have been in a situation, myself included, where it seemed like nothing good was going to come out of this moment and everybody was speaking negative. You ever been there? Everybody's saying negative stuff. Everybody just start wallowing in self-pity. No hope. No, no reality of God is present. Well, if God was going to do something, he'd already done it. Let me tell you something. There are going to be moments in your life where you go through some suffering and pain and it looks like God hasn't showed up in time, but I'm kind of like them old timers again. He's still an on-time God. You know what I'm saying? Like he will come through. He may not come when you want him, but he will be there right on time. And Jesus is doing something. When Jesus doesn't answer your prayers the way you want him to answer, when you want him to answer, you need to say, God, what are you doing right now that I'm not seeing? What are you trying to do in me that I'm not seeing? And when we suffer and when we experience pain, sometimes that's difficult, but I can tell you that Jesus will even bring healing in the midst of that pain. And Jesus was ready to do anything he needed to do. He was ready to heal Jairus if he needed to mourn with him, or he was ready to go and raise this girl from the dead and bring new life and demonstrate to Jairus who he really was. But he says, do not be afraid, only believe. I need you to understand that fear is one of the primary tactics that this world and our enemy uses to keep us out of faith. And in the last two years, honestly, fear has elevated at an all-time high. You can look at medical reports and anxiety is at an all-time high. Fear is at an all-time high. Everybody's afraid of sickness. Everybody's afraid of disease. Everybody's afraid of everything. And he's saying it's not just about believing it's about not letting your heart be troubled or, or, or being afraid because you know that your life is in the hands of the master. He says, don't just believe. Do not be afraid and only believe. And so I'm going to give you five very quick things to finish this message about only believing. And number one is stay in faith. Stay in faith. You have to fight. And I, sometimes I've got to do it. Sometimes I'll be in this church sometimes and, I, and I've, I've got in fear. I'm like, Lord, nobody's getting saved. Nothing's happening. I, I, maybe I should just quit. Maybe I should just lay down. You have to fight to stay in faith. When all kinds of bad circumstances are flowing and, and you're seeing all kinds of difficult things happen and, and prayers are not being answered, you have to fight to stay in faith and continue to believe God. When Abraham was in his position, when he was told that he was going to be the father of many nations and the man was a hundred years old and didn't have a baby, do you think he had some doubt? He had to fight to stay in faith. But it says he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. Even though him and his wife's womb was already dead, he knew that he served a God that called things that did not exist as though they did. 
And he had power to even raise the dead, the scripture says. So he did not waver at the promise of God for, uh, through unbelief. But instead he gave glory to God knowing that what he had promised he was well able to do. And he had to hold on to that promise for years. Sometimes you're going to have to hold on to a promise for, for years, but God is refining your faith in the midst and he's healing your heart in the midst. And all of a sudden you start to see his goodness and his promises come to pass. And the relationship that you developed in the process is far better than if he had given you the thing right when you first asked for it. And that's what makes it so beautiful. That's why this walk of faith is such a beautiful thing. Because he's building something in us. So you've got to stay in faith. And number two, you've got to create a faith environment. Y'all know what I'm talking about here. Mark 5, 37, it says that Jesus allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. He said, boys, we're about to get into something. I want nine of you all to stay over there. Thomas, sorry, bud, you ain't getting in the room. Because if Thomas had gotten in the room, he'd have got in there and been like, she's dead, boys, this ain't going to work. This is going to be weird. Jesus, please don't touch her. This is going to be a PR nightmare. I mean, if they go live on Facebook and see you speaking life to this girl, they're going to call you a heretic, a charismaniac, and they're going to say definitely now that you're, that you're casting out demons by the power of the devil. So he's like, we can't take Thomas in the room, boys. We're going to leave him out. He didn't take Judas in the room because G Judas would have come in and stole their flat screen. There's certain people that you just don't even need in the room with you when you're trying to believe God. That's why sometimes, honestly, church is the worst place for miracles. Ooh, that was good right there. I kind of felt that. Church is the worst place for miracles because people come in as an audience rather than believers. People come in as an audience spectating what they might say, what they might do. Do I like this church? Does it fit me? Can I consume this? Is it going to be good for my kids? Let me tell you something. When we come in here, you may come in here in that way, and you are welcome. But when we come in here, we come in here to worship and believe God. We come in here to worship and believe God. This is not entertainment. I'm not putting on a show for you. I'm preaching the Word of God so that we can know Jesus and we need to create a faith environment. We need people in our lives that are going to speak faith into our darkest situations. I need somebody, man, at my worst day when I've lost something, I've gone through pain, when, when things aren't working out, I need somebody to come up to me and give me a word of encouragement and hope and say, you know what, God's going to move in this. And we're going to pray and we're going to believe God and we're going to expect Him to do something. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the guy that's not allowed in the room. When I'm on my deathbed, I'm going to think very carefully about who I allow into the room. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. I want somebody that's going to pray a prayer of faith. I don't want somebody that's going to come up to me and say, Lord, if it be thy will. I want somebody to believe. And I'm not trying to put that down. I'm not trying to mock that. I know that many of us, we've gone through pain. We've experienced loss. I've prayed for people. I say it all the time. And we don't see anything. But that does not negate that Jesus has called me to stay in a place of faith and believe God to, to be God in situations that he, He's the only one that can do anything in. Just because we don't see it a few times doesn't mean we lay down everything and say, well, we're just going to quit pursuing God and have church on Sunday. We don't do that, y'all. We go after God. We stay in faith. We create a faith environment. And somebody said, well, you know, he didn't really have to kick them out. He's God. He could have done anything. Well, how come a couple chapters later in Mark chapter 6, he goes to his hometown where people know him. 
And it says in verse 5 that he could do no mighty work there. God in the flesh could do no mighty work in his hometown except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And notice this, he marveled because of their unbelief. And you see this clear correlation that when the people of God don't believe, it hinders God from doing the fullness of what he wants to do in their midst. It's just a reality. You can say, well, you're preaching that word of faith stuff and this and that, and you're a faith either. No, I'm just preaching the scripture, my friends. I'm none of these things. What I am is somebody who believes the Bible, and I know that when he went into his hometown, he could do no mighty work because they did not believe in who he was. And there's such an environment of unbelief that sometimes we settle into that we literally hinder God and say, God, we don't really want you being God in our midst. We've got control of this. We'll figure out a way to do it. In Mark 5, 38, it says, They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And even when I read that, I'm like, for real? It, are you lying? Are you, are you just saying, because is she really dead or is she just sleeping? Like, which is it? And I'm, I get confused when I read that. I don't know about you. I, I, I'm questioning things in Scripture. I'm thinking, why did he say this? We know the girl's dead. Why is he? He's trying to bring them into a different kind of reality that ultimately he has the power even over death. And he can make death look just like a sleep with just a word. And he's trying to get them to think differently, to say, see something differently. But number three, faith speaks and sometimes faith says crazy things. Sometimes people will laugh at you for believing God the way that you believe. And I don't know if you're like me, but there's certain people I get around. I know they ain't going to believe me. I know that internally they're just going to mock me. So I don't even tell them what I believe. You know what I'm talking about? Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. There's sometimes that I'm around a certain type of people and I can tell they're not going to believe me. I'm not going to share with them this vision because I don't want to hear their negativity. I don't want to hear their unbelief. I don't want them to saturate my current faith in God to do something amazing with their unbelief and doubt and negativity. I want to stay in a place of faith and sometimes faith speaks and in this current situation, Jesus spoke. He said, hey, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. And they start to laugh at him. And I love it because it says there's a great commotion. You know, back then they actually hired mourners to help bring you down so that you could grieve harder. I'm thinking, we don't need to hire none anymore. There are people bringing people down everywhere. <laughs> they ain't even a professional job anymore. People are just mourning all the time. And, and look, and, and I'm not saying that there's not a time to mourn and grieve. There absolutely is. You, if, when you've suffered great loss, if you don't grieve and mourn, you're probably not going to heal. Jesus comforts those who mourn. But what I'm saying is that there's moments to mourn and grieve a loss and let Jesus heal us. And there's moments to say we need to believe God to work in this situation. And you need to discern by the Spirit what kind of moment is this. Is this a moment to step? Is this a moment to grieve a loss? Or is this a moment to step into faith and believe God to do a miracle in our situation? Faith is not denial. Let me tell you this. You know, some people get in that habit. I'm not claiming that. I'm not claiming that. No. Faith doesn't deny reality. If I've got a sickness, I've got a sickness. There's, I mean, it's a reality. I'm, I, I can't just say I don't have it. That's not what faith is. Let me tell you what faith is. Faith doesn't deny reality, but faith sees a greater reality. It is the marriage of your heart to the unseen realm 
Believing what God says is superior to the situation that I currently see. I may have something going on in my life right now. And it's a reality. I'm not going to negate the fact. But I'm just going to step into the unseen realm in the place where God's word is true. And I'm going to ground my faith in that and say this. I may be experiencing this right now. But I'm going to step into a greater reality knowing that God's word is more powerful than my current reality. And I don't deny reality. I speak the word of God to my current reality. And I believe that it's superior and that it trumps it. So we can discuss the facts, but we're going to declare the truth of God's Word to it. And your confession is important, y'all. Somebody said, well, you're just talking about positive confession. Do you know that the Bible actually says that you are saved when you confess, you believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead, and you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Some of you need to confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, not just over your life, but over your current situation. He's still Lord. He's still Lord. And you are saved. That same word, sozo. Saved, healed, delivered, set free, restored. Number four, you've got to endure criticism. Anybody amen me on that one, right? You ain't going to believe this. Sometimes I get criticized. <laughs> Mark 5, 40. And they laughed at him, and I love this, but he put them all outside. <laughs> oh, you're going to laugh at me? Go ahead, right there's the door. Uh, I th Je <laughs> Jesus was there to do business, y'all. And they laughed at him because of what he said. And he said, oh, okay, I can see y'all ain't got no faith. Go ahead and head on out. We're going to take care of this in here. And he put the negative voices outside. Sometimes you've got to endure criticism. And i got to be honest with you. Jesus endured more criticism than anybody. And you know who he endured it from most? Religious and spiritual leaders. It wasn't a prostitute. It wasn't the demonized that was criticizing him. It was pastors down the road. It was the rulers of the synagogue that were criticizing him. And when they criticized him was often when some of the greatest moves of God happened in their midst. And that's amazing to me that spiritual leaders got something in them, a spirit in them, that when God actually moves, they criticize it. But sometimes you've just got to endure criticism. Because every now and then you're going to have some people, you're going, you know what, you're just going, you know what, I'm just praying for my family to be restored. And you hear the devil say to you, psh. That ain't going to happen. You hear, you got, you got a family, psh, they ain't going to change. Y'all ever experience that? I'm telling you something, you may hear them, you ain't got to be mean to them. Maybe you can even share your faith with them, share a Bible verse with them, and try to preach faith to them. But if they're going to continue in that negativity, you need to put them outside of the room of your mind, and you need to fill your heart and your mind with faith and stay in the Word of God, and don't let the negativity of the devil and other people get in your heart and bring about doubt. Whenever God wants to move. And lastly, faith brings life to dead things. Because in Mark chapter 5, verse 41 and 42, it says that taking her by the hand after he put everybody out of the room, he said to her, Talitha Kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement. Faith brings life to dead things. And here's what I want to say to some people this morning. This is what I know it's Father's Day. You know, 
how it ties in. My dad's, I think my dad's favorite Bible verse is legitimately the one where it says, only believe. I've heard him say that. He reads the Bible every day, but he loves that verse, only believe. <laughs> Happy Father's Day, Dad, only believe. <laughs> but here's the thing. I feel like what God was saying this morning is some people, what he wants is people to step back into faith. For some of you, it's just you need to, You've been a Christian maybe even your whole life, but you just sort of put it to the side and like, ah, you know, I believe in God, but I don't know about church and all this stuff. And, and God said, no, it's time for you to step back into faith. You remember that time when I first spoke to your heart and you felt that fire of God and you had all these expectations of, of the wonderful things that I do in your life? God's saying, that's not over. I still want to do amazing things in your life. And somehow you've stepped into discouragement and doubt and fear. And you've, and you've moved away from what I've got you. He said, no, I want you to come back into a place where you push all that negativity out. Only believe. Don't be afraid. Only believe. And some of you have situations. It may be with your family. It may be in your marriage. It may be with a bodily illness that you've been, just been wrestling with. And God is saying, don't be afraid. Only believe. Step back into a place of faith. I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to minister to you. I'm going to do something. Don't be afraid. Only believe. And here's what I love about this girl, obviously. You see a resurrection. That's an amazing thing. But what you need to understand is the greatest resurrection that we're ever going to experience. And I believe that we could experience physical resurrection. But you and I are that 12-year-old girl. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. And we had no desire for God and Jesus comes after us. We didn't go after Him. We didn't wake up one day and say, Hey, I want to seek the Lord. No, Jesus came after us on the cross. And by His Spirit, He draws us. And He came to you in your darkest moment. And for some of you, maybe that's right now. And He's speaking into your heart and saying, Arise. I'm wanting life to come into you now. I want you to believe in who I am. I want you to believe in the love that I have for you. You cannot imagine the love that this God has for you. He wants you to experience that. He's not asking you to perform. He's not asking you to get things right. He's not asking you to fix things. He's saying, don't be afraid. Right now, you come to me, just believe. You can't earn this salvation. You can't earn this healing. You cannot earn your deliverance. But if you will come to me and believe, I will give you a new walk. It says that girl got up and immediately she began to walk because when God speaks into your heart, you start to walk differently. And all of a sudden you see a dead heart come to life and a dead mind come to life and that's what Jesus wants to do in our lives. I want you to bow your head this morning. As we pray, he says, do not be afraid. Only believe. So if you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus or maybe even you feel like you did. You know, maybe you got saved at some point. But right now, God's just really dealing with your heart and saying, now's the time. I, I need you to respond. I need you to, I need you to deal with this thing in your heart that's going on. If that's you, I'm not going to ask you to come up just as an act of faith, though. It's an act of faith. Just to simply raise your hand and say, I sense Jesus dealing with my heart. I want to respond. I want to yield to him right now. I want to experience salvation. Maybe even healing or freedom in my heart and in my life. It could just be from fear or anxiety. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand right now. Just as an act of faith. I see a couple hands going up. Anybody else? Yeah. Don't be afraid. Now, I believe that the Lord's going to touch some people, even right at their seat. We're going to give people a chance to respond. But, Father, right now, in Jesus' name, I want you to pray right there at your seat. 
Lord, right now we give you all of our fears, all of our anxiety. And Father, we surrender our hearts to you afresh. And God, we just receive your love because we believe that you sent your son Jesus to die for us on the cross for our salvation. And that doesn't just mean that we go to heaven when we die, even though that is probably the best part of it. But God, right now it means that you're giving us a new heart. You're giving us a new mind. You're transforming who we are. You're healing our bodies. You're healing our minds. You're setting us free and delivering us, God, from the oppression of the enemy, Lord. And so we receive everything that you have to offer this morning, Father. Jesus, we ask you to fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. We ask you to touch our bodies and our minds and our hearts. And Jesus, I pray you strengthen each one this morning and let faith arise for us to believe you like we never have before. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I want you to stand to your feet this morning. This altar is going to be open. We're going to sing a song and worship together. And I want you to take a moment. We're, we're about to move into baptisms, but let's take this one song to give God the glory and the worship that He deserves. And if you need prayer, there's going to be some people up here to pray for you. I'd love for you just to start moving right now, just to come around this altar and pray and to respond to the Lord. But let's just take a moment to worship. Amen. Thank you, Lord.